Hello, I'm Danny Aiken, president of Southeastern Baptist Theological Seminary. We want to thank you for listening to this chapel message. Our mission at Southeastern is to seek to glorify the Lord Jesus Christ by equipping students to serve the church and fulfill the Great Commission. We hope that you enjoy this chapel message and that you will visit our website. It's www.sebts.edu. There you can learn more about our school and what the Lord is doing here. We hope you enjoyed the message. Thank you for being a part of what we're doing here. Wow, great to be back on campus today and even more refreshing to be on campus in blue jeans. I'm telling you, uh, this place has such great memories for me and I can remember a time when we would go out on Friday nights, there was a group of us that used to meet right here and pray. And we drew a radius around this seminary and said, let's knock on every door within that radius. And we're going to ask everybody to help us out. And we had a group called the Dulos that would meet right around the corner. And there's about a hundred of us going out on Friday night, knocking on doors, telling everybody we could about Jesus and plugging them in to local churches. And I'm so grateful to God that even 15 years later, that legacy still overflows from this place, not only to this community, but even around the world. The desire to see lost people come to faith in Christ. And so, so many special memories of this place and so grateful to be back here and see many familiar faces. This is a special place where God works through his people and God uses this place to impact his kingdom. Now, grateful for Dr. Aiken and his invitation to be here. He texted with me last night, said, I'm sorry, I'm not gonna be there. I said, where's lunch? I don't know what's going on. And uh, grateful for him and his ministry. We have shared meals together, uh, him and Charlotte over at our house with Emily, my wife, and appreciate the ministry that he has here and all of you, how the Lord has called and desires to use every one of you. And so I want to speak to you today from 1 Corinthians and chapter 3, a very powerful passage of Scripture that basically serves as a Snapchat. You listening? Of our lives. Just a brief picture, a snapshot of our lives. And it speaks to us about many important things. It'll speak to us about discipleship, about the exclusiveness of Christ, about the judgment of believers, and about eternal rewards. And I hope this encourages you and challenges you. I hope it steps on your feet, your toes, as the Word of God often does. And if you have your Bible, let's look at 1 Corinthians chapter 3, beginning in verse 1. Paul is writing to a troubled church. He had spent a little bit of time with them. Then he goes away and he gets this report that, man, they're struggling. Man, they're struggling. Like many of the churches you go to or have been a part of or will be a part of, instead of the church and the people of God influencing the world by being salt and light. Instead, the world is influencing the church and you're around 
the people who claim the name of Christ, and yet they don't look any different than the world. And this does not glorify God. Paul's gonna show them a better way. Paul's gonna speak to them in a very parental tone. Listen to him as he speaks now in chapter three, verse one. And I, brethren, I could not speak to you as spiritual, spiritual people, but as to carnal, as to fleshly, those ruled by the flesh, those who are worldly in their behavior, as to babes in Christ. Now, it's very important to notice who he's talking to. Because first of all, we would say, look how worldly they are, they're lost. Now, Paul is not saying they're lost. If you look back in chapter one, verse 30, he says, but you are in Christ Jesus. They just hadn't been discipled. You know, the world we live in, there's a lot of temptations, a lot of landmines, a lot of distractions. The world offers us so much. So many of our people in our churches, their spiritual growth has been stunted because they're chasing the idols of the world. We chase after all the things that feed our flesh, the entertainment-driven society, the materialistic world that we live in. But no doubt about it, he's talking to believers. He says, you are in Christ Jesus, babes in Christ. He calls them brethren, as we see there. 39 times in this letter alone, by far more than any other epistle that he writes. Brethren, babes in Christ, I can't even talk to you on a spiritual level with any spiritual maturity because your babies, babies in Christ, nepios, one's mouth is too small, they can't eat solid food, they can't even speak. Now he is saying this to their shame. It's a very parental tone and he loves them as pastors, love your people, as those called into ministry, love your people, but speak the truth. He's telling them the truth. He's not happy. Man, I spent time with you. You should be growing up. He says in verse two, I fed you with milk. That's baby food, that's how we get started. And that was fine in the beginning. I fed you with milk, not with solid food. For until now, you were not able to receive it. Mm. And even now, all these years later, even now, you're still not able to take in the more mature conversation, the more spiritually mature and deeper conversation. You're not able to handle it. He says in verse three, for you are still carnal still worldly. Some people have asked the question, is there such thing as a carnal Christian? Absolutely, look at this passage. You look at them and you can't tell a difference between them and those who live in the world. And man, there in Corinth, it was like modern day America. People chasing after all of their desires, doing whatever they wanna do without any regard for the Lord. Churches like that today, and the churches are buying into these lies of the carnal world where sin's not that bad, heaven's not that good, hell's not that hot, and the gospel's not that urgent. 
But I tell you, it is. And don't ever forget what Paul in the scripture here is reminding us. You know, it's interesting as he speaks to them in this way about how they haven't grown up and how they are still babies in Christ. You know, I love babies, don't get me wrong. I have three children. Grace is already 17. Whew. Jake is 15. And Maddie, the fireball, is 10. They all have their different personalities. And if you have children, you know what I'm talking about, how fast they grow up. It's amazing, especially in the younger years. You know, you're putting on diapers and changing diapers and giving them milk. And you're watching them quickly learn how to sit up and to crawl and teeth are coming in and then they're standing up and they're beginning to walk and each day at that point they're learning new words. Something is happening almost on a daily basis as they are growing up physically. And in that same way, God wants us to grow up spiritually. Not staying as babes, but growing up. And this should be for every one of us. We should continue to grow in our faith. But throughout churches all over this land, we see these who are not growing up. Can you imagine? Oh my goodness, if I were to bring uh, Jake or Grace up here and I said, I wanna introduce you to my 17 year old and they bring her out and she's in diapers and she's crawling across the stage and can't even say a word. You would say, I could understand why you would be so proud of her at the age of six months. But right now, I think you should probably, if anything, be embarrassed that she can only crawl, wear diapers, and not even articulate but a couple of words. Now, in the same way, spiritually speaking, that's what Paul's trying to get the point across. How is it that you haven't grown up in the faith? Now, he says, as example of their carnality, and their lack of spiritual maturity. He says in verse three, for evidence of this, where there are envy, jealousy, strife, divisions among you, are you not still carnal? Now, I love the way Paul writes. He actually teaches by asking rhetorical questions. And we know the answer. Are you not still carnal? And acting and behaving like mere men? And so they kind of get this letter and they're going, yeah, yeah, we are. And they're shame by even answering the question. They acknowledge that they are ruled by the flesh. But there's something so much greater. And yet, look at verse four. For when one says, I am of Paul, and another says, I am of Opalus, are you not carnal? They're identifying with men rather than Christ, and we see that today. All the name dropping. I follow this guy, I follow that guy. I wanna follow the guy that's following Christ. I wanna follow Christ. So who then is Paul and who is Apollos? They're simply ministers or servants. That's diakonos, where we get the word deacon. They're simply servants through whom you have believed. And the idea he's expressing is saving faith. They've been saved. We were servants who brought the message by which you believed and were saved. But you don't worship the mailman. He's the only the one who brought the message of Christ. 
we were servants, through whom you believed as the Lord gave to each one. Now listen, he says in verse 6, I planted, Apollos watered, but God gave the increase. And the emphasis on what God has done. And God uses people to be sure. I could plant a seed in a pot of soil here. One of you could come and water that, but that's all we can do. We cannot beget life. Only God brings about the new birth. He brings about life and growth. It is God who brings the increase. So then neither he who plants is anything nor he who waters, but it's God who brings the growth, the increase. Now look at verse eight with me. Now he who plants and he who waters are one and they have their purpose to be sure. Watch this. And each one will receive his own reward according to his own labor. And that is a key thought that the apostle Paul is introducing to us. The work we do is actually being remembered by God and it will be rewarded by God. He's showing them the importance of what they do each and every day for the kingdom of God. God's not forgetting it, but don't misunderstand this passage. We're not working for our salvation, but our reward is based on the work we do. So he's gonna show them a better way. He says in verse nine, for we are God's fellow workers. Praise the Lord. We're working together, not against one another. We are God's fellow workers. You are God's field. You are God's building. He switches from this agricultural metaphor to an architectural metaphor. Speaking about planting and growing, now speaking about building. You are the builders of God, the architects of God. God wants you to build, partner with him in building the kingdom of God. Now he says in verse 10, according to the grace of God, which was given to me by God's grace, by God's grace, we are all here this day. And by the grace of God, which was given to me as a wise master builder. And that's what it says as I speak to you from the new King James version of the Bible. Your ESV says skilled master builder. As a wise skilled master builder. And this word in the original language is architectos. Where you can clearly see the word architect. Only place here in the Bible that this word is used. And Paul is saying, now follow my example in the same way in which God has given me the grace as a wise master builder. Now I have laid a foundation and in part he's talking about his travels in church planting as he would go and plant churches. He was laying a foundation in a new area and another comes and builds on that as he would establish churches planting with elders and those who would follow in and accomplish the work of discipleship. Others would build upon it. But then he says, let each one take heed, be careful how he builds on this foundation. And anytime we read in the scripture where God says, 
be careful, pay attention, take heed. It causes each one of us, we should sit up and go, let me bring out the highlighters and make sure I really take note of this. Paul is saying here, be careful, pay attention of how you build your life, how to build a life that counts. And what he's referring to here are the choices that you're going to make on a day-to-day basis. What are you investing your life into? And so he's going to speak to them about building a life that counts. And so look at these next five verses. He's gonna speak to them about the foundation of your life, which is Christ. What you build on that, the framing of your life, your house, the choices you make, and oh my goodness, if we could just look through the spiritual lens of God, as heaven looks down and sees each one of you, the foundation is there in your life, you've trusted Christ, and look at all you have done, we'll be so surprised Maybe some people that were meek and you didn't know too much about them in your church and yet they were prayer warriors. They served, they were faithful and all that they did and the choices that they made, they build with good things. Be careful how you build. The foundation, the choices you make are the house, the structure and then the fire he'll speak about is the judgment and the evaluation of God that will come at the end and evaluate your life and it all counts. So he says, take heed and be careful how you build. So in verse 11, he says, for first of all, no other foundation can anyone lay than that which is laid, which is Jesus Christ. There's no other foundation. If you build a great life on some other prophet, some other person, some other priest, some other pastor, if you build on that, it doesn't matter how great the structure is, it's gonna cave in, it's on the wrong foundation. There's only one foundation, there's only one salvation, and it's through Christ alone, amen? How many of you would say we're saved by grace alone, through faith alone, in Christ alone? Amen, good, 80% of you believe that, I'm so proud of you. Jesus himself said, I'm the way, the truth, and the life. No one comes through the Father, but through me, he's the only way. The Bible says in 1 John 5, 12, he who has the Son has life. He who does not have the Son does not have eternal life. This is the exclusiveness of Christ. And you will be called narrow-minded if you embrace what the scripture teaches us about Christ being the only way. You will be accused of being narrow-minded. You will even be made fun of and even persecuted. How many of you are willing to stand on this statement that Christ is the only way? I hope so. There's no other foundation and that's the foundation for your life. And as God sees you, is that foundation there? Now I know you can watch all these shows and the world is being bombarded by the rhetoric that we find from those such as Oprah Winfrey, who would say that's absurd to think that there's only one way. There's plenty of ways. You go home and you YouTube Oprah one way and you'll see a show where she's talking about that. Some lady stood up in the crowd and said, no, Jesus is the only way. She says, that's crazy. But Jesus is the only way. That's the foundation. Now, 
quickly. Look at verse 12. Now that the foundation is there, he says, now if anyone builds on this foundation of Christ with gold, silver, precious stones, man, those are good materials, or wood, hay, and straw. Well, let's think about these building materials. See, you get to choose the materials. The gold, silver, and precious stone have great value. The wood, hay, and straw or dead grass, for the most part, aren't that valuable. You would take a diamond and trade it, not even be willing to trade it for a truckload of hay. You see, these materials have different value. We should invest in that which has value. Also, you might consider the beauty, the gold, the silver, the precious stone. For the most part, they are much more beautiful than the dead grass and the hay and the wood that's mentioned here. But of particular interest to Paul, and the reason why he's speaking of these materials is how they hold up to fire. Fire is going to come and discern which type of material you have built your life with. When the fire hits the gold or the silver, in fact, it will remain, it will endure, and in many cases, it's even more purified and more beautiful. Whereas we all know what would happen when fire hits wood, hay, and straw, it is consumed, it is burned, and there's nothing left. And so he's speaking to us about the materials that we choose to build our lives with. It was interesting, I was working in Washington, D.C. before the Lord had called me into ministry. My wife and I met working at Georgetown University, and I was a new believer at that time, nearly 25 years ago. And I was involved in a great church. Dr. Coley was there and he has been a tremendous blessing to me throughout the years. First time I ever taught a small group class was Dr. Coley's small group class in this particular church. And it was one of the pastors there that was saying, all right, let's gather around. He was the leaders, he, he was the pastor over several leaders who were being involved. I'm not sure why I was even invited, but as we sat down in a circle on Monday night, this pastor asked and he said, what did any of you do today that had any spiritual significance? And I thought to myself, what am I doing here? I'm in trouble. What do you mean what did I do today? It's Monday. What am I supposed to do? I mean, I was at work. I cleaned out a file cabinet, you know, did what I normally would do. Why don't you ask me that question on a Sunday? And it was quiet around the room today. What did you do today that has any lasting value, any spiritual significance? And after a while, somebody spoke up and said, I had a great quiet time. He said, that counts. Somebody said, I handed a track to somebody and asked them if they would read that at the restaurant. That counts. Somebody said, I helped my neighbor move today, trying to build a relationship with them that I might invite them to church. That counts. The good choices that we make with the right motives on a day-to-day -day basis, those will be remembered and they will resound throughout all eternity. That's the gold, the silver, and the precious stone. Many of you have sacrificed much. God will not forget that. 
How you give of your time, how you give of your talents, your abilities, how you give of your treasures and you have sacrificed much and most of the world doesn't know and that's fantastic but God knows and even other people in your church and your pastors may not know. Your people may not know but it is okay, God knows and he sees what you do. God knows. But I wanna tell you, it's that gold and silver and precious stone that's going to remain. Now, I'm thinking about this, the wood, hay, and straw as I think about my own life and how uh, if God were to evaluate my life right now, and I praise the Lord by his grace for the things that he's allowed all of us to do. But there's also a lot of wood, hay, and stubble. This is not necessarily outright sin that he's referring to. It may be, and that'll be consumed. He's talking to believers about the evaluation of their life. Man, if he looks at my life, man, I can spend a lot of time watching the Weather Channel. I'll just let you know. Man, there's a tropical storm coming up from the coast this week. If I'm not careful, man, I'm going to be on the Weather Channel. My wife will come in and she's like, what are you watching the Weather Channel? And that radar is just going around. I'm watching the thunderstorms rolling. Boop, boop. And this has got me. I'm watching the Weather Channel. How many, any other Weather Channel freaks in here? Somebody? A couple? And you're ashamed. When we're talking about Jesus, you're like this. We're talking about the Weather Channel. You're like, yeah, I got the Weather Channel. Oh, don't laugh at me now. Some of y'all watch the Cooking Channel. All these things. And there's nothing wrong with chilling out. There's nothing wrong with taking a family vacation. But if that's all you do, you're wasting your time. I was thinking about Tiger Woods. You know what his life goal is? His life goal is to break Jack Nicklaus's record of most major golf tournament victories. Let's just say by chance he actually does that. A hundred or a thousand years from now, can you imagine standing before the Lord and saying, I won 20 majors? It's not going to matter at all. That would be in the category of wood, hay, and straw. Don't waste your life. Christ is worth so much more. Amen? How many of you would say Christ is worth it? Everything that we do. And so he says in verse 13, each one's work will become clear. We have the foundation, which is Jesus Christ. We have the framing of our lives. And it's actually going to be evaluated. This is the believer's judgment. Each one's work will become clear. It will become evident, manifest. It will become known. How? For the day that is the judgment for the believers, the Bema judgment seat of Christ will declare it because it will be revealed by fire. And when the fire comes and looks at my life and your life, that gold and silver and precious stone, it's going to remain but that wood, hay, and stubble, all the silly things, the wasteful things that we did with our time, our talents, and our treasures, they're all gone. And the fire, God's evaluation is going to judge. The fire will test each one's work, your life, 
of what sort it is, good or bad. We read in 2 Corinthians chapter 5 and verse 10, for we must all appear before the judgment seat, the bema seat of Christ, that each one may receive the things done in the body according to what he has done, whether good or bad. We all have a date with the Lord. Now, this bema, you see in Corinth, they actually had a 10 foot raised platform where they would publicly recognize those who were victorious in battle, those who had done something special in community service, or those who had participated in the games that were a big deal in sporting events, and they would be publicly recognized and rewarded publicly there in Corinth at the Bema. And this is now the believer's Bema seat judgment where God evaluates, and every one of us has a date with God for this judgment, those who are in Christ Jesus. And he says, if anyone's work which he has built on this foundation, if it endures, if it's that gold, silver, and precious stone, he will receive a reward. Praise the Lord. Now there's much talk about what does the reward look like? I enjoy heaven more. I have more responsibilities in heaven. This much we do know. Jesus said in Revelation 22, 12, behold, I am coming soon and I bring my reward with me to give to you. Now, on the flip side of that, verse 15, if anyone's work is burned, wood, hay, straw, wasted life. He will suffer loss, not a loss of salvation, as it says, but he himself will be saved, yet is passing through fire. And I want to tell you that is no way to live your life. Don't waste your life. Christ is worth so much more. He has saved you that you might serve, that you might worship him, that you might glorify him. Listen, when you get saved, when you're born again, your life doesn't end there and you're just coasting. It's just the beginning. It's just the foundation. And now you build on top of that. And so many of you who have invested in many, many years, you can look forward to that day where you stand before the Lord. You think about Moses as an example. We read in Hebrews eleven twenty four 24, by faith, Moses, when he became of age, he refused to be called the son of Pharaoh's daughter, choosing. He made a choice, choosing rather to suffer affliction with the people of God than to enjoy the passing pleasures of sin. Rather than living for myself and he had it all. All the wisdom and the wealth of Egypt, he had it all. He said, I'm going to make a choice. I'd rather do it God's way and suffer with God's people than stand and enjoy the things of the world. He wasn't living for self. He was living for Christ. And the Bible says there in verse 26 of Hebrews 11, esteeming the reproach of Christ, placing value on Christ, value on people coming to Christ and Christ being glorified, he placed greater value considering Christ to be greater, greater riches than the treasures in Egypt. How many of you have come to that same conclusion that Christ is greater than anything this world could throw my way? 
I remember I was faced with a similar decision. Right before I came to seminary here in 96, I was climbing the corporate ladder. That had been my dream. I got saved. God's starting to shake that dream. They flew me down to New Orleans. Part of my testimony. I'm thinking, I need to go to school. There's a school in New Orleans. There's a seminary in New Orleans. I'll go to that. So I was looking for a job. They flew me to New Orleans. I walked around the floor of the Superdome and I was offered a job to run the Superdome in 1995, fall of 95. And I remember flying out of New Orleans. I could see the Gulf of Mexico and God as clear as he is when he called me, he says, little boy, you're done. You are done with all this corporate stuff. You're gonna go home, you're gonna reject that job, you're gonna turn in a notice where you're currently working and you're going to seminary. And all this other stuff, you're done. And I remember making a choice and by God's grace, I remember saying, yes, sir. Whatever you say, may we still have that same heartbeat. Yes, Lord, whatever you say, Christ is greater greater riches than the treasures in Egypt in this world. And the Bible says here, for he looked to the reward. And our reward is walking by faith. Our reward is walking with Jesus and glorifying him most of all. Maybe you're here today and you say, I can't do it. I know, we can't do anything apart from Christ, but we don't have to be apart from Christ. And we can do all things through Christ who strengthens us. So all things are possible. Whether you're five years old or 105 years old, however much time God gives you on this side of eternity, we can do all things through Christ who strengthens us. The foundation is in place, Christ Jesus. The framing of your structure, your life is being built right now. How will you build your life? It all counts each day, how you spend your time, talents and treasures. Listen. That day is coming soon, beloved. Let me encourage you. Let the word of God challenge you and encourage you this day. You take dead aim on the rest of your life and you pour it all out. You live it for God. Take dead aim on the rest of your life to the glory of God that we might one day hear him say, well done, thou good and faithful servant. Amen. Amen. Thank you again for listening to this chapel message from Southeastern Baptist Theological Seminary. If you are thinking about theological education on the undergraduate or graduate level, including doctoral studies, we hope that you consider us. If you also find these chapel messages encouraging and a blessing to your walk with Christ, we hope that you will consider financially supporting Southeastern. Our graduates are literally serving the kingdom across this globe working to carry the gospel of Jesus Christ to a lost and dying world. Your gifts will help to train more, and they will serve as a worthwhile investment in God's kingdom. You can find more information about attending Southeastern or supporting us financially at www.sebts.edu. We covet your prayers and trust that God will bless every good work you do for His glory. Thank you for joining us in our chapel services.